You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Eurosimos. Hey guys, welcome to episode 90 of the Here for the Truth podcast. I'm Joel Rafidi. You already said that. Why, 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 why are you saying the same thing that you say when he comes on? It's a big deal. Yeah, but sometimes we do like, because you say it there, but like, what's up, you know, like, you, you know what <laughs> I mean? Know. Let's just roll with this. Guys, Eurasmus has a problem with the way I'm introducing the podcast now. So why don't you, why don't you, why don't you just do it? And this is 100% going in as the intro. All right, cool. What's up, everybody? Eurasmus here. we got Joel Rafiti over there with the great Here for the Truth hat. Um, just want to say that this week or last week, we were banned from YouTube. We had three strikes. So we're off that platform. But it's all good because... All our episodes, you can listen to them on your favorite podcast platform. You can watch them on hereforthetruth.com. We'll also be uploading our videos to another platform soon as well. Other than that, just want to let you know our membership community, Friends of the Truth, uh, is live. Uh, We had an amazing first guest with Jaguar Hart, who also happened to be our first podcast guest. And our next three guest experts are going to be David Whitehead, in um, October, we got Melissa, Miss Alyssa Sell in November, and then we got Jason Christoph coming in December. So if you want to be in the same room as them, you want to interact with them and ask questions uh, on top of the live teachings that Joel and I will provide each month as well and be part of amazing community, go to friendsofthetruth.co and, and check out what it's all about. It's really, really cool. Yeah. Um, and, and on top of monthly live community hangouts. So literally, you get a live teaching with us. You get a live guest expert call um, where you can interact and submit questions and you get that community call as well. Um, so this is an incredible offer, guys. It's an awesome container of like-minded individuals and families. And the very cool thing about this offer also is that it's only one membership required per household. So for any of your family members within the same house, they can join the Telegram community. They can join the live calls. They can um, interact and submit questions all under the one single membership. So yeah, please head to friendsofthetruth.co to check that out. Um, oh, sorry, am I, am I allowed to speak now? Yeah, you're allowed to speak. <laughs> no worries. Guys, we had an awesome conversation with Brendan Murphy. This is a lot of fun. We share similar views. We're on the same page about um, a lot of things as you might imagine. So please enjoy. All right, everybody. Welcome to episode 90 of Here for the Truth podcast. We have the incredible Brendan Murphy in the house today. He's a self-proclaimed truth addict. His adult life, he's been keenly aware of the falsehoods we are indoctrinated into from our youth and driven by a deep burning need to do something about it so that we stop growing up as watered down parodies and caricatures of ourselves and become what we're meant to be. Powerful, aware, informed, creative, intelligent, adaptable, and intentional. He spent 17 years and some 15,000 plus hours studying in the fields of consciousness, psychology, different healing modalities, self-evolution, conspiracy facts, exopolitics, and much more. He's the author of The Grand Illusion and has just launched his new online platform, Truth Aversity. Brendan, welcome to Here for the Truth. It sounds like you're in the right place. <laughs> Thanks for having me. And I just realized that... um. You guys asked for a bio at some point. I, I didn't see it until like last minute and I was like, ah, 
I just realized then it's you you've got an old bio. So yeah, 19 years now. <laughs> okay, cool. Go, man. Yeah, now we just pieced some things together from from your very interesting website. Um, so glad we're able to make that happen. The way I really want to kick this one off, as usual with most of our guests, like what brought you here? What is your truth-seeking journey, so to speak? What are the major rites of passage that really catalyzed within you profound transformation that was like, hey, this is what I stand for. This is the direction I'm moving in. I mean, for me, it was pretty like clear-cut and obvious uh, because, you know, I had one of those sort of watershed moments where it was like the the light bulb went off. Um, <clears throat> so when I was like, uh, must have been just about 20, nearly 20 or 19 going on 20, my brother was, my young brother was still in high school. And, um, you know, he he had a talk given by some young fellow that day, he was a young entrepreneur at school. And he he came home and, and this guy, he was telling me about what this guy was supposed to be talking about. It was supposed to be about business, but he kept going off on this tangent about some book that he read that was really amazing. And he, he found it so interesting. He kept talking about it. And so my brother's like, I don't know why. I just feel like maybe I should mention this to you. It's like the, the book was called The Holographic Universe, right? And it's quite a famous book now. Probably you guys have read it and a lot of people mm-hmm. in the movement, in the sort of awake movement have. Um, and so I put that on the, you know, in the back of my mind for like six months or so before I finally got around to going and reading it. And it was sort of like the perfect time in my my life to do that because at that point I didn't have any uh, allegiance to any kind of ideology or dogma. I didn't really have any clear ideas about what I thought was uh, real or what was happening in the world. And that blew my mind. Like it showed me that, that what I had been indoctrinated with and conditioned with up till that point was basically nonsense. Um, and the nature of reality was very different to how we are generally led to believe through, you know, whether it's like Christian uh, religion or whether it is the school system and the the modern science, which is completely outdated. Um, and so that that just lit the, lit the spark in the fire and I became very curious about everything. And from there, I, I never looked back at, at, you know, I never looked at doing a normal kind of a life. I never did a nine to five. I was just 100% on the, uh, just on this journey of truth seeking and then, distilling and then sharing what I was learning along the way. So I became addicted to to that path and, and learning and study. So, you know, being a perpetual student from that point on, you know, I had mystical experiences early on and that solidified the the conceptual sort of ideas of what was in the holographic universe. And it showed me, you know, through direct experience, uh, what is, you know, really true about that kind of stuff and the nature of reality. So from that reference point of being, you know, knowing from experience that uh, I am what we really are is infinite consciousness, um, you know, I guess living a, a sort of a normal life, you know, as as prescribed by society was never really an option. Awesome, man. Do you mind divulging into your mystical experiences? Yeah, I mean, the first one was just, uh, you know, not long after I read that book, uh, and I was just lying in bed waiting to go to sleep one night. And the next thing I knew, I was, uh, I was, I was infinite. Um, and that's all I can really say. I was infinite, a field of infinite consciousness, but still with this, the, it was like the duality of having the pinpoint, uh, singular point of I am awareness within this infinite awareness. Um, and you know, as soon as I tried to mentally process what was going on, it, it kind of ended that experience. And, you know, I took up, I ended up taking up meditation and I, I meditated quite consistently multiple times a week for a couple of years. And, you know, I had more experiences like that along the way where it was, you know, a little bit more controlled and a little bit more sustained. Um, and, you know, I had some pretty, pretty cool stuff, but it, it's sort of like, you know, there's only so many times you need to go, go into that place to, to get it, you know, to understand, to have the knowing. Yeah. Do you think a lot of people, they um, get a taste of that and then they just keep chasing it and chasing it, and chasing it, whether it's through meditation or through psychedelic experiences, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a danger of, uh, you know, that, that chasing and that escaping and people, 
instead of instead of bringing that knowledge and awareness into you know their lives in the day to day and embodying that um, to try to to try to clutch at it and grasp at it is is uh, you know potentially not very helpful. Um, just depends what your intention is with it. I mean, I I would actually like to get back into meditating, um, but you know I need a reason to do it. I need a I need like an agenda to to bother you know doing it. Otherwise, I'm not going to. Um, so yeah, it's it's just one of those things. You got to be aware, self aware of what it is that's actually motivating that. Are you trying to escape reality? Are you trying to go into these altered states because you you'd rather not deal with your shit in real life? You know. Yeah, I think that's such a huge piece. You know, you, you see it a lot in in different spiritual quote unquote spiritual communities uh, where it's just they they um, exchange one form of escape, whether they used to be hardcore you know, partiers or whatever to the, 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 the flip side, you know, escaping through certain new age protocols. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to see. Um, you mentioned the holograph, uh, holographic universe. That's Michael Talbot, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Any other, any other teachers that have had an impact on you, uh, books that have had an impact on you? I'm sure tons. I guess <laughs> there are, there are probably like one or two that are really powerful at certain points in time. Like, that was the metaphysical awakening. And then what came maybe within the next 12 months was kind of like the the geopolitical awakening, which was actually courtesy of a friend of mine whose mum was kind of into all that stuff. And, you know, I'd go and visit their their place. Um, this is back in Sydney. And, uh, you know, her mum was interested in it. She wasn't so much. And one day she her mother grabbed me by the hand and walked me upstairs to a bookshelf. And she she was like, okay, she pulls this book out and she's like, you need to read this. And um, I took it with me and I did. And I got about uh, 90 or what was it, 100 pages into the thing, 99 pages into the thing. And I realized at that point it was actually making me physically, almost physically sick to to realize how the world is actually um, operated and how it's manipulated. And that was courtesy of uh, a, a little known fellow called David Icke. So mm. <laughs> that was that that was that phase of the awakening. And then, you know, you just push on with it. But it's good to have that spiritual foundation in place beforehand. I think it helps you to, to be able to integrate and reconcile a lot of the uh, less positive <laughs> information. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. Like speaking personally for me, um, you know, I started, let's say a little bit post 9-11, I think was was where my your journey began. But uh, I was a, an actor in a previous incarnation. And a lot of uh, my training was was consciousness based, like my teacher had a lot of psychologists on the staff, etc. And so like, um, having that psychological foundation and understanding myself to a certain level, then when I really started diving into a lot of this truth stuff, you know, like you said, it, it, I had a foundation, like I felt healthy. I was able to take this in and be able to hold space for it as opposed to like, what the fuck is going on in the world? You know? So yeah. 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 I think again, again, people's gaze goes, goes external. Now we have external truth and that's great and everything. But if you haven't uh, pointed that gaze inwards mm. into yourself and built that foundation and that inner strength and, and have brought some regulation to your nervous system, I could totally see how um, coming to these realizations around what's going on in the world or coming across let's say a book like David Icke's uh, would make a person um, kind of a little bit maybe potentially unstable. Yeah, yeah. I see that a lot in the, um, in the you know, if you can call it the truth movement, you know, there's a lot of um, personalities out there that are kind of in that sort of uh, unstable um, space and they're it seems to, I think it attracts a certain type of person, but also it can also be destabilizing once you're in it because you you are you're grasping for something to to hold on to and that makes sense of things and and something that's reassuring because fundamentally that's what most people like that's why people adopt a belief system or a dogma or a theology is because they want comfort. And mm-hmm. when you go into 
Chapel Perilous, as Robert Anton Wilson called it, you know, this crazy conspiracy realm where anything seems possible, um, it, it can be really super destabilizing and very intimidating. And if you don't know who and what you are, what is quite likely along the waves, you become, um, you can become very, depending on your mindset, like some people go down the, the religious sort of fundamentalism path and they become really rigidified in that and really dogmatic around that because their sense of identity is tied up to it and, and everything around it, everything outside of that is very threatening to it, but they find an anchor point and a point of balance and stability through that belief system. And then other people who have like maybe more of a, an atheistic kind of take on things, they, they don't have such a reassuring, um, you know, something to hold on to. And then, you know, it can be quite, uh, it, it can be quite demoralizing. I think in, in some ways, like even, even me having the the foundation that I had when I, by the time I was 99 pages into David Icke's book, I still felt sick to my stomach because mm. this was all this information that is deliberately kept out of the, the mass media and the school system and, you know, all this kind of stuff, the political discourse. And to realize that we are played in this way, even if not a hundred percent of it is accurate, even if just 50% is accurate, uh-huh. it's like, it's, it's, it's pretty horrific. Yeah. Wh- uh, which one of his books do yeah. you remember? It was Children of the Matrix. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Um, real quick, I want to see uh, if you can comment on this, uh, just because you, you talked about people kind of escaping into, you know, religion, etc. I've found, especially in the last few years, and Joel, if you want to comment on this, you can, that I'm noticing people that kind of have gone down the, the new age path for a while have flipped and have become like hardcore Christians. Can you comment on that a little bit, like your thoughts on that from like the psychological underpinnings of what causes a person to do that? Yeah, that's a really awesome question. And I'm actually going to really dig into this um, in some of the, the some of the, the talks and presentations I'm going to do in, inside Truth University. So it's a, it's a subject that really, really interests me and has for a long time. It's always bugged me. Like, what is it that makes someone do that to themselves, like become so because there's different there's a spectrum of like you know the believers right there's a spectrum and then what you see in the in the kind of conspiracy world is you you often meet with a very hardcore sort of bible thumping fundamentalist mentality um whereas outside of that you can often find much more sort of enlightened uh, aware uh, Christians. So there's a spectrum, but we, in, in our world, we tend to attract the really hardcore, narrow-minded ones. And I think that what happens that I've been making that same exact observation, brother, over the last however many years it's been, because it seems to have happened at a, an accelerated rate in the last, say, five years. You know, we've yeah. had, it's like the more unstable the world around us becomes, the more people revert back into this kind of archaic um, belief system as it's kind of like a life raft. They, 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 again, they're trying, they're drowning in a sea of uh, uncertainty and they're trying to hold on to something that is reassuring and stable and and that dogma that if you approach it with that mentality uh that is a very black and white way of looking at the world and it and it gives you it simplifies things and it allows you to grasp things even though it's an, in, an incredibly incredibly simplistic way it, you can grasp onto things and it's like well that falls into that category that's the devil <laughs> yeah. and then over here we've got people who are on the side of Jesus and yeah. you're either this one or you're that one and that's the, very easy to grasp the world through that extremely simplistic lens and then they have the reassurance of well I believe in Jesus so I'm going to be fine I'm going to be booking a seat on the cloud it's okay. Like whatever happens to me, I'm going to fight the devil to my last breath. And no matter what happens, I'm going to be booking that seat on the cloud. So it's okay. So it's a very reassuring concept. And and we also have a, a, a history, like in the morphic field and in our neurology, we have a history of this, this um, we used to be super religious. Humans used to live in a super religious mentality. And this 
this insight came primarily from Julian James. And it's been elaborated on research a lot more and received a, a lot more support. A lot of people don't realize this. Um, but his incredible insight was that if you go back beyond 1500 BC and all the ways to say 10,000 BC in that time frame, we were what's called super religious. So we actually neurologically, psychologically were radically different to how we are now. And we did not, as humans, we did not have the, the psychological sophistication. Uh, we didn't have the self-awareness. We didn't have the awareness that we were aware. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the ability to step back from ourselves in like that sort of figurative virtual way and look back at ourselves and go, I'm aware that I'm aware. I'm conscious of being conscious. Um, that came later as as the as society became more complex and the social order started to be challenged and break down. The brain had to actually evolve different ways to cope with that. And it became what we call interiorized. So we 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 ended up developing over time from say roughly approximately 1500 BC into the next say thousand years, we developed a radically different neurology. And what we used to have in the super religious mindset what Jane's called the bicameral uh, mind was this inability to kind of think and rationalize and make decisions for ourselves in the moment. So if if something couldn't be done, if an action couldn't be performed or a problem couldn't be solved on autopilot, which basically means unconsciously, then what happened was if they had to be faced with making a decision, the right side of the brain would send a message into the left side of the brain, which they would experience as basically a auditory or visual hallucination. And they would hallucinate, uh, essentially hallucinate that a God or the God was telling them what to do. And so they didn't have what we now experience as free will. So we've come from a radically different place. And those experiences gradually became uh, sort of canon. They became canonized. They based their theology around it. You know, these people, these prophets and that kind of thing, this, uh, these people who had the remnants of that older psychology, and they gradually started to die out. But what the, the Bible tried to do was they pulled, pulled all this material together, obviously very politically motivated. A lot of texts never made the cut. And we ended up with the, you know, the Holy Bible, which is this sort of harking back to the super religious age where people had that direct experience auditorily and sometimes visually of communicating with with God, which was the way that their brain was interpreting the right hemisphere, communicating with the left left hemisphere in a situation where they had to make a decision, um, which is a little bit of an overview of, of how that played out. So in, in the background of the human brain and the psyche, that is still there. That impulse is still there. We remember on an unconscious level that we used to be told what to do by an ex- external, right? That's how mm-hmm. it was experienced, yeah. by an external source, a deity, which told us so we didn't have to think for ourselves because we actually at that point in time couldn't do it. We weren't neurologically capable of it. So it's a harking back to a much simpler time when it was like we were kind of like children in the, you know, in the Garden of Eden and God would tell us what to do, and we would do it. And because it was experienced in a way that maybe today's schizophrenics would hear our voice, uh, it's a very invasive, extremely invasive, intimidating uh, dynamic. So the person who's hearing the voice doesn't really have a, a great deal of capacity to say, no, 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 I'm going to do it my way. It's it's so overwhelming that they are instinctively compelled to do the behavior that they are being instructed to do. Um, so that is a very, you know, we're harking back to that. If you revert back into that fundamentalist mindset, you're actually unconsciously trying to get back to that earlier place, which is, again, a much simpler way of, of being because you don't have to make decisions for yourself for one thing. So are you saying, um, I'm familiar with this book. I have it. I haven't read the whole thing. It's uh, it's uh, The Origins of Consciousness and the Bicameral Mind. Is that his Yeah, book? the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind. Breakdown Fantastic bicameral marketing mind. title. Yeah. <laughs> um. So would you say now, let's say us sitting here where we have like different parts of us that are speaking to us, 
would would you say that like back then there was like a version of that where another part of the brain would kind of send signals or thoughts but they were also potentially auditory could it just be also like an, like another part of their brain thinking something that then they thought was coming from a god as well yeah, well, that's basically his model was that the right side of the brain, in, in, in the left hemisphere, there's this, there's this part on the side that's called uh, Wernicke's area. And on the right side, his, his hypothesis was that on the right side, there was a corresponding area, so kind of like a mirror image, and that the, the volitional impulse or the thing in your brain or psyche telling you what to do in a situation was, you know, the right hemisphere shooting that signaling across to the left and then you experience it as this hallucinate hallucination. And you you're like basically like, shit, I have to do this. Like whatever the instruction is, you have to obey it because it's a god commanding you and you you're just this puny little pissant. You can't argue. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's for some reason it's making me think of uh, a movie I loved when I was younger. Uh Real Genius is one of Val Kilmer's first movies where he uh uh he plays like a genius, uh in, like a young genius in the school for geniuses. And there's a part of the movie where they one of the one of the guys was kind of like you say he's the villain, but he's like the teacher's pet. While he's sleeping, they go in there and then they, they hook up some kind of thing to his braces. And then when he wakes up, they're able to like transmit a voice to them. And the guy thinks he's talking to God. So, anyways, <laughs> it's, it's 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 pretty hilarious. It was like a, a definitely a movie I enjoyed when I was young. Yeah, but man, check it out, real genius. I've never seen it. I'll have to, have to check that out. There was I saw a really good example of uh, there was a show recently. Uh, what's it called? Manif Manifest or something like that. Uh, it's a series, and I'm not watching it. I watched some of the first episode, and in it, it just happened to have this woman who was on a bus, and she suddenly hears this voice telling her, like, to tell the bus driver to stop the bus or something. And it's like I just really thought the way they they acted it out and portrayed it was actually really powerful because she hears this voice and she's like, oh, like it's so intimidating and overwhelming. It's like someone slapping you in the face, and you can't ignore that. You can't ignore a voice in your head. The way that you can block out other phenomena, mm -hmm. it it's just it it's so invasive that you really are left with no options other than to to you know do in 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 terms of the bicameral people to do what they were told, and they interpreted that as doing what the gods were telling them to do. Yeah. And this was how their social order and hierarchy was maintained, because people were obeying the same you know the same sources of authority and authorization. So. As society became more complex and tribes started to intermeet and uh, interconnect, you know that that hierarchy starts to break down, and situations that have never been faced before have to be dealt with. So decisions that have never been made before have to be made, and so the whole thing gradually starts to crumble. And we had to evolve into a newer, interiorized state of consciousness where we actually are consciously aware that it's me deciding to do this thing. I'm not hearing a, a god supposedly external to me telling me to do this. There's no voices. There's no visions. It's just me going. Oh, I think I'll go for a walk. <laughs> Yeah, is this is this phenomena still possible with man's modern mind? Because I'm just trying to potentially link this to people who claim to have, you know, God experiences and spoken to God, whatnot, um, as a potential justification. Mm. Well, for that. real quick, yeah, I want to jump in there too because uh, I read a book uh, years back called "Under the Banner of Heaven" by John Krakauer, and it explored the history of the Mormon religion and the 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 kind of baseline or the the. The book was based on these two brothers um, who were part of fundamentalist sects, sects, not S-E-X, but S-E-C-T-S, uh, Mormon sects. And they, one of them said they received a message from God to kill the other brother's 18-month-old baby. And so that's what the book is based on. But 
they go into the whole history of of Mormonism and, you know, in terms of religions, I mean, to have something that's pretty new relative to like Christianity or that we, it was really fascinating study on that. So, you know, it's interesting to think about what Joel said, like there are people who hear voices now or they, you know, they say God told them to do a thing. So I'm, I'm curious, like how that plays out and if if that is a remnant of that that distant past. Yeah, I mean, like the evidence suggests that that, that is a remnant. <laughs> it is uh, yeah. this vestigial kind of hangover from from that era because, you know, we have people who do still hear voices and, um, and sometimes it's, you know, they're just hearing gibberish. Sometimes they hear a voice in the, you know, like maybe one of their parents' voices telling them what to do or telling them off or it takes a lot of different forms. And we today we call that schizophrenia, but back in the super, super religious bicameral era, um, as far as James was concerned, everybody had that happening. So there was no concept of mental illness because everybody w- was what we would now call mentally ill. It was a normal. <laughs> in, that like a party. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we still I'd like have, to be a fly in the wall during that time. It would have been, abs- oh my God, I can't believe how interesting that would have been to, to actually be able to see that in action. I mean, you know, a radically, radically different social experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, one observation I've made in terms of this radical shift from, I guess, New Age to Christianity within people within the movement and outside of it also is that I think like um, the New Age can be like the spiritual manifestation of the left and obviously fundamental religion can be the spiritual manifestation of the right. We've seen this huge shift, obviously, as the left has moved and the right's moved from the left to the right also and people are almost just taking that on board in a spiritual sense, quote-unquote. Um, as well, particularly with the rise of Trump and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, the right. I, I, I agree with that. And what you just said about the right and the left, and yeah, that that's how it has been for, to a large extent. But yeah, the the New Age movement has become uh, more and more uh, interesting changed. and 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 strange and and dissociative. And um, and uh, some of the experiences that people have, I think, are, are remnants of that old um, bicameral psychology, that experience of. You know, but it's it's different now because we used to have you know, we used to say, oh, it's God, it's the voice of a God, this God, that God, and then it became sort of angels, angels, and and then demon, the demon concept came came along, and this is all as the 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 breakdown of the bicameral mind is happening, and so we have this sort of progression of of phenomena and you know the way that we're interpreting it, um, and and it's not that I'm I'm sticking to a uh, like a reductionist, I'm not a materialist, so I'm not saying that. We can't communicate with, you know, say other intelligences or other beings. Um, you know, as a as a mystic, you know, I <laughs> I operate from a field of infinite consciousness. So there's a lot of possibility in that, right? So it's just a matter of the brain's way of interacting with itself, as well as processing information from the the, the field, has gradually shifted, and and it's gotten quite bizarre. And the the storyline from angels and demons has evolved more into kind of like aliens and demons. Yes. And uh, and that's becoming a very elaborate, complex sort of uh, storyline in the collective unconscious at the moment. And a lot of people are getting kind of like um, beguiled by it and taking it at face value. But I think a lot of the time what's actually happening is people having experiences like kind of archetypical experiences as they have contact with the collective unconscious. And it's a very numinous, very powerful, overwhelming experience. It's completely real as far as you're concerned in the, if you're having that experience in the moment, completely real. Um, but it does need to be like stepped back from and then analyzed in, from in terms of a bigger picture and the pattern that we're that we can see because uh, a lot of the alien stuff can be traced back through into the Middle Ages and and beyond and and if you go through the centuries you can see that the phenomena actually 
the phenomenon evolves according to the time frame that we're in and the technology that's available and the, the belief systems that we have. And it changes to reflect the beliefs of the people at the time. So that's a, that's a dead giveaway that we're interacting with something that is uh, not, you know, not little men from outer space. It's not simply as as obvious as, oh, well, these are visiting, visiting, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, civilizations coming to Earth. It's not that simple. It's it's oftentimes contact with the collective unconscious means you're contacting us, like the collective side of humanity and all these crazy stories and ideas and archetypes that are in there which can be activated. And if you have a susceptibility, like people under massive amounts of duress often have these types of experiences as their mind kind of breaks down mm. and becomes vulnerable to input from the collective. They can have these experiences of, uh, you know, alien this, alien that, um, abduction, whatever it might be. And it's not to disparage people who are having the experiences. It's just a matter of sort of stepping back and looking at, well, what is what is the nature of this? And sometimes you can see that it's it's an archetypal kind of a thing and it follows a shamanic kind of a patterning. Um, and that you can trace back through the centuries. Other times, it's you know less obvious <laughs> what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I I want to I want to get into mm. go deeper into this subject around like aliens and UFOs and all this stuff. But I, I want to just kind of revisit what you were saying around how the, in the New Age community there's kind of elements from that distant past, the bi- bicameral mind. Whereas you see all these people all the time in 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 these quote unquote spiritual communities where they're just like spirit told me to do this and spirit told me to do that and spirit told me to do this and spirit told me to to date my twin flame and whatever the quick case may be and it's just like I, i'm trying to like like where what's the voice how do you know it's spirit telling you to do the thing or go on the trip or i'm gonna wait for spirit to tell me what the next thing to do and it just seems like it relates to that time period from thousands and thousands of years ago so I'm curious your thoughts on that. I mean, obviously I'm I'm mocking it a little bit, but it it, it just I, I find it kind of interesting how it relates. Yeah, man, and it's good observations too. Like I, I really empathize with that, and and you know it is easy to make fun of some of those people because some of them are really like very deep in that hole. Um, it a lot of it comes out of dissociation and I think trauma because you can see there's a certain type of personality that's very uh, in denial of reality that they've they've got that tendency to try to escape reality and always be in that spiritual place. Um, And so, yeah, you get that stuff. Spirit told me to do this and that and, you know, twin flame this and whatever. Um, And, and then, you know, at the same time, it is true that we, we can, um, you know, have this interaction with the collective consciousness and the the quantum field and this information because ultimately we're swimming in a sea of information and the fundamental aspect of everything is consciousness so it, it becomes a bit complicated like you've got to ask the question well what is at the end of the day what is real um if we're having these encounters with other beings technically whether it's a thought form entity that we've created unconsciously mm-hmm. which i think a lot of this stuff really is or it might be a type of being that has its own independent existence in the grand grand order of things. But if you boil it down to the, the base of infinite consciousness, it's all part of us. Everything is part of us. Yeah. And and that's that's where it's like, well, what's what's real anyway? Um, you get to that point very often. You're like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, that's how I translate it in that sense, where it's like you're giving credit to this external thing. Where for me, I, I translate it as like well, my intuition. Like there's a there's some part of me that was like, go here, make a left turn, like pick up that book, date that person, don't date that person. Do you know what I mean? Where it's just coming from this this place that yes, I guess if I was some like spiritual type and 
you know, wore the outfits and everything, I could just say spirit told me. Whereas I'm like, well, no, I told myself, you know, it's like, yeah, just decorating intuition. It. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's it, man. Like everybody here is plugged into that to that quantum field. So everybody here has access to all the same information. Um, and, you know, that's what that in that gut feeling can be. You know, that's just being plugged into that information flow. Um, and yeah, you're right. Like I do see a, a direct parallel there between that kind of a mentality of, oh, you know, the spirit, spirit told me. So it's like kind of having, you know, clear audience, you know, a voice telling you what to do or whatever it comes through as. And that's a direct parallel to, you know, some of that bicameral stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that there's not some kind of interesting thing happening. Yeah. Because um, there is. And I think that, you know, even even though James's model was fundamentally a materialistic model, he didn't deal with any of the paranormal stuff. But if you go into parapsychology and start dealing with the psychical research and all this, it's like, well, you know, Jane's, Jane's really, you know, that was a big missing piece of his puzzle. That was the the real weak point was that he didn't go that far and he didn't take it that far. So when you do like an honest investigator who has access to 21st century information has to acknowledge all of that and just be like, okay, well, the Janesian thing fits. It's a major piece of the puzzle, but it fits into a bigger picture where psychic experiences do happen. We're, we're in this quantum model, this quantum paradigm now that Jane's in the 19, in 1976, when he published that book, that wasn't as well established as it is now even though in quantum in terms of like quantum mechanics and physics that paradigm you know had destroyed materialism completely by that point but it's not embraced in the academic world and community they still have a a large amount of resistance to dealing with consciousness on its own terms and that means dealing with parapsychology and psychic phenomena and all this stuff so can you break down simply like what is the quantum field like we hear this i think people don't have a grasp on what that actually is what does that mean (laughs) I think it's it's the current sort of in vogue way of of talking about the infinite field of consciousness that is the ground of reality. That's as far as I'm concerned. It's like, well, they don't in physics. You know, again, they've had this huge bias because we've come out of an, a period of time where we've had this this Cartesian split between you know the church and the world of the scientists, right? So yeah. the church was going to deal with the spirit. And the scientists were going to deal with the natural world, and they were never going to—they were never, never supposed to, you know, t- uh, tread on each other's toes and get into the, each other's territory. Mm. And so, you know, the scientists remained blind to the the religious phenomena, and the people in religion remained blind to the scientific, you know, the development of the scientific information and paradigms. And I think it's just essentially, if you're talking about the quantum field, you're really talking about a field of consciousness that is the ground of reality, which is, you know, that is that is where this hologram that we are living in, this holographic reality is projected from the ground, the whatever you want to call it, the pleroma, the consciousness field, the infinite. That is essentially having a dream. It projects like a dream into itself. And we end up living in this holographic reality because we inject ourselves into it and, you know, typically forget where we came from and who's who's doing the dreaming. But that's, that's you know, I'm getting off on a tangent, but I think that is the quantum field, the, the basis, the real basis of the quantum field, because it contains all information and, and the base of it is consciousness, which they try to avoid because they'll talk about information, you know, bits, quantum bits and this and that. But information doesn't mean anything unless there's consciousness there to process it and make some kind of meaning out of it. Mm. So my next question is, who are we and where do we come from? <laughs> Yeah, I sound like a broken record if I <laughs> we we are just we are infinite consciousness. That's the yeah. only reality. That's the only eternal reality. That's that's where we we create all these different dreams of, you know, parallel worlds, multiple universes, all this stuff, being human, having a human experience. And um, 
ultimately, you know, we get to be all of it, but the only permanent thing is, is the underlying field of infinite consciousness. <laughs> mm. So how does, how does, I guess, individual expression or individuality um, bridge into that for you? Like, do we, are you, do we all come from the same infinite source, infinite consciousness on the, on the primordial level? Are we all from the same thing? But how does, in, how is individual expression brought forth in that? Well, I think, you know, in my opinion, we all come from the same kind of primordial source. Mm. Um, and maybe, maybe, you know, that in terms of infinity, you have to sort of acknowledge the possibility of infinite uh, numbers of infinities, uh, <laughs> which which kind of does your head in a bit. But yeah, um, where the individual experience comes from, I think, you know, we as infinite consciousness, if that's the base, if that's where the starting point is, then there's nothing else for this this eternal intelligence to do but to create dreams of duality or dreams of otherness and explore these other little adventures as as what it is not you know it's because infinite potential has to be in my opinion infinite potential has to be infinitely manifest which means every single possibility has to be an actuality as well so we we were inevitable and this is one way that the the infinite you know injects itself into its little dream worlds and then has a play and it gets to be Joel and it gets to be Erasmus and it gets to be Brendan and then, you know, after a little while, it gets bored of that and then it withdraws and, you know, dreams another dream. Interesting, man. Thanks for, thanks for following that journey with me. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, so, are you ready to talk about aliens or what? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I really want to get into your view on that, on aliens and the whole, like, disclosure. I mean, you have people like Dr. Stephen Greer and all these people and Area 51. Like, how much of that is, like, true? Um like what are what are your thoughts on that? Like, yeah, it, it's such a huge can of worms, and it's <laughs> it's one of those things where you know, like the Stephen Greer stuff, and he's really into the the whole like getting a group together and going out onto the mountaintop and you know mentally communicating with these beings and trying to get them to manifest. Um, but a lot of the UFO phenomena over the years or contact phenomena suggests that it's not really quite what it seems. Um, and it, it it keeps shape-shifting, you know, over the ages, it shape-shifts. And it's like, well, given that that's what's going on, is it really what it looks like now in the in the 21st century? You know, it, it looks very different to what it looked like in the 15th century because that was a completely different ballgame, even though you'll find in the Middle Ages like paintings of what we would call UFOs. But the inhabitants of these things have, you know, shifted and changed. And there's these storylines that have been built up around them now, which... It's like, you know, like I was saying earlier, you get to a point where you don't actually know for sure what is real in terms of is this an independently existing intelligence or is this something that we have unconsciously conjured because all of this stuff is contained. All the gods and angels and demons are contained in the collective unconscious. And people think of it as a passive kind of like a, I don't know, like a garbage dump or something where just information just gets shoved. But it's not like that. It's actually alive. And it has this kind of um, volitional will of its own, and it, it will try. It does break through, and it does communicate with us in ways that we. Some people, you know, like synchronicity is an example uh, in many instances of the collective unconscious communicating with us. Mm. And that's that's an you know that's a very interesting tangent in itself. But the alien thing is very difficult because if we can have contact with the collective unconscious, and it is feeding like it's mirroring back to us what we believe right now in terms of 
well, we've got a very technological view of things, you know, everything's technology focused and based. And so this is the kind of experience we're having. And we've we've been obsessed for, I don't know, decades now with things like genetics and reproduction and, and, and medicine and altering the human genome and trying like transhumanism and all this. And then all that stuff is reflected back in these these alien experiences, you know, the, there's this obsession with the, the breeding programs, um, the manipulation of human DNA and all this kind of stuff. And I, I have to, you know, ask myself, you know, how much of that is actually this ever evolving kind of what I call the, the astral fantasia. I've, I've started calling the astral fantasia, this, this kind of collection of all these amazing and incredible types of beings and phenomena and experiences, which are, Quite possibly, I think most of the time, manifestations of the collective unconscious thought form entities, because we create thought form beings just by thinking. Um, like if you have a hostile thought about somebody, at the level of the astral and mental planes, you are sending information which manifests as you know certain types of thought forms or th- certain even certain types of entities, which will then seem to be attacking the person who you've had a hostile thought about. And if someone sees that stuff clairvoyantly, they might interpret that as oh, there's these aliens that are after me. But it's it could actually simply be that Erasmus, you know, had the shits with you and he was pissed off. And because of that, these thought forms were generated by him unconsciously. He had no idea he was doing it. Um, and then they've gone off to the the target, you know. And, and a lot of people interpret this as sort of psychic attack and this hostile, intentional mm-hmm. thing, aliens or monsters, whatever. But a lot of it, we're just unconsciously generating um, ourselves. Yeah. Joel tells me he sees aliens all the time, but it's just me sending him psychic <laughs> attacks on a regular basis. <laughs> you got a love-hate thing going, huh? Uh, no, I love it. No, it's like really Louis alien is just coming at me. <laughs> you know? No, but it's, it's, I love having these dialogue because it's like, I don't know, man. This is what's so fascinating. You know, you, see, you hear all these stories and and you read the books and it's, it's, I don't I don't know. Like, are we is, is something gonna come and their little green little green beings are gonna come out of a spaceship? You know, do we have like alien technology that the government is working on and using and keeping from us? And you know, like I don't know. I, I think and also it's worth adding, man, because people can sometimes take me the wrong way. Like with this stuff, when I talk about the manifesting of the collective unconscious, I'm not saying it's a an imaginary thing that only exists at the level of thought. It actually can be physicalized. Like we can actually physicalize thought forms we can make a thought form visible in the visible spectrum of light and Mm. if enough psychic energy is behind a thought form or an archetypal type of experience it can physically manifest and i think that's where probably at least some maybe a lot maybe even all of i wouldn't see i don't like to say all because i don't like making blanket statements but Mm -hmm. a lot of say alien craft have probably manifested physically but then again it's like well okay Apparently, we're re- reverse engineering some of this stuff, which makes me think, well, that that doesn't sound like a, an archetypal manifestation. But, you know, I I don't know. The answer is, yeah. you know, unless we're there behind those closed doors. And even those guys, a lot of those guys in the disclosure arena, I think, are, are quite uh, beguiled by this phenomenon. Like, you know, if a, if a craft crashes or, you know, a body is found, the assumption is always that it has a physical origin or that it's from another galaxy or another world, but it may not be. A lot of what's what's possible is that a lot of things can actually physically manifest out of what we would call thin air, a.k.a. the collective unconscious or the, the field of information, and it can be physicalized. Um, that's how we got here. You know, We got physicalized through 
multiple dimensional uh, layers. And eventually, you know, we have the physical world, physical bodies. And when we die, the physical stops working. We still have the etheric body. We share the etheric body. We share the astral body. We share the mental body and all these different layers of um, energy and information. So yeah, in, in, in Robert Munro's books, he had a group of people working to produce thought forms. And their goal of this one particular exercise, which I talk, I talk about this in uh, book two, actually book one, I think, um, was to manifest visible red light up in the sky. And they spent a certain amount of time as a group focusing on this one thing. And eventually, um, this one bloke in the group went, hey, look, look up, look higher. You, they actually had to look higher than they had aimed the target, so to speak. They aimed here, but the light manifested you know, up here. So it actually, they did succeed in generating a visible red light in the visible light spectrum as a group through nothing more than mental intention. And, and you know, there's thousands of experiments that prove that we can interact psychically with the environment around us. So uh, busting. this is, yeah, this, yeah, this is the Monroe, Monroe Institute, right? Like, I, I feel like people have told me about or invited me to things where they've like taking courses where they're, they're bending spoons with their thoughts. Is that one. similar? Yeah, yeah, okay. I don't I know how spoon bending they do, but a lot of astral travel stuff, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm so fascinated by all this. You know, I don't have, like, direct experience, but, you know, I'm definitely open-minded enough to be like, you know, there's many things that could be possible. I think yeah. um, I think it's really interesting to me um, that a lot of the UFO alien phenomena, there is a pattern there where people go through uh, a very significant time in their lives or potentially maybe a, a very stressful time in their lives or a, like a fork in the road moment. Um, and that is very, very often when these types of encounters happen. And that to me tells me that there is most definitely very often a psychic connection between the thing that's manifesting and the person who's, you know, witnessing it, having that experience. I mean, I saw a huge orange orange disc above me about a hundred meters in the air at, at night. Um, back in, uh, I think it was early 2012. I was living in Perth at the time. Mm. And, um, you know, I just, I was out in the, in the, in the sort of uh, backyard and just for no apparent reason, I just had this impulse to look up directly up above me. And I didn't, there's this huge orange, orange disc. And it was like, as soon as it realized that I had my eyes fixed on it, it took off at a very, very rapid speed and it disappeared, but it didn't disappear over the horizon. It just vanished. And this stuff gets caught on radars. Um, you know, so it's it has a real physical presence. I mean, if it's solid enough that a, a radar signal is being bounced off it, that tells me that the psych psychic psychological phenomenon involved can actually manifest at a physical level, and that's how powerful the energy behind this these types of archetypal experiences can be. It is something that starts in the immaterial world but can manifest physically, and it the the fact that it so often happens when someone's going through a really crucial point in their lives tells me something. I mean, it's not Nazis hanging around in their flying saucers, you know, waiting for you to have a, an amazing, profound moment or turning point in your life. No, it's something more profound and more subtle than that. Cool. Amazing. One very, very simple way that I can attempt to give language to the unconscious um, is, for example, I'm a member of uh, Michael Tessarian's Mystery School, right? And when you read tarot, not really contacting an angel or an oracle or anything like that, you're tapping into the unconscious and you're basically giving the unconscious, the unconscious a language. And so when you get a card that is so absolutely spot on, it's simply because you're providing a language and a form for that unconscious to express itself and the, and the proper environment and arena to do so. Um, so if you think about that on a macro level, um, then yeah, I, I can kind of see how all of this is possible for sure. But yeah, fascinating. Definitely. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree, man. That's a, that's a really good analogy, actually. Mm. Um, so what's your focus these days, man? Um, I mean, obviously, we've experienced a lot since 2020. How did you feel about that? Did you see that coming? Was that far more intense than you expected it to be? Um, and uh, are people just going to forget about the massive um, bouts of tyranny and totalitarianism that were, ex- that were experienced and go back and regress to normal life? Or is have things shifted in a permanent manner? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of everything there. <laughs> I think um, most people are very, very happy to forget. Most people have very short memories. Yeah. And, um, you know, the historical awareness is not really very high. Like people don't know what Stalin's Stalin's yes. um, communist <laughs> Soviet Union looked like and what, what was happening there. They don't understand how the techniques of uh, propaganda and, and brainwashing continue to be, you know, passed along down through, you know, the years and the decades um, and used all around the world by the governments that are supposed to service. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I didn't, man, I didn't see it. I didn't know when that kind of thing was going to happen. But when I when I paid attention to it, I realized that it was, you know, the the rollout of the, you know, the, the end game, so to speak. You know, they, they were really going hard for the whole uh, depopulation thing, you know, the total and utter bio medical surveillance enslavement of everybody thing and and yeah, I was kind of, I was, sh- I was honestly, like, to be honest, I was shocked. Yeah. I was appalled at how many people just, just bought into it. I couldn't believe it. Like, especially in Australia where I just, I just was just in horror of how many people were so keen to just bend over and take it um, and not actually question anything, not look at any real information or data, but just, oh yeah, well, you know, we better do what they tell us. Um, the mentality of like complacency was just shocking. So yeah, I think we got a long, long way to go to any kind of, um, you know, like great awakening or, or whatever. But it's sort of like the lay of the land has shifted. But has it has it shifted enough? Do we have the ten percent? Do we have the critical mass? You know, to prevent this kind of thing from from happening again? Is this just the last ditch, desperate attempt of the, yeah. the cabal to kind of do mm-hmm. do its thing before it all falls apart? And you know, it kind of looks like there there's some desperation there as well. Yeah, there's definitely massive amounts of desperation there for sure. Um, yeah, sorry, Erasmus. No, no, I was just going to say, um, obviously, I live in a little bubble being in this world. And, you know, my beginnings in the truth world came from like the health world. So, um, you know, February 2020, I was like, okay, yeah, what's coming right now? Like, I, I just sniffed it from day one. You know, I'm fortunate to have a, a, a lot of people in my life that way, but also people who just, just totally, like you said, they just, they just, they just took it right up the ass, you know, they just, they just <laughs> bent over and, and I'm just saying they just, Look, the reality is it was a giant experiment. Like they got the data they wanted. They were like, yeah, okay, this works. Well, yeah. But I also, this is what I was going to say is that like, I find it, even though I'm in my bubble doing my own thing, I find it hard for, for something like this to come up again and people to have just total faith in public health, public health, you know, like it's just, you, if unless you're complete, your mind and your psyche has been completely co-opted and you have that, you know, that percentage on on the one side like how do you just like have someone jump on the tv again and be like you all have to stay home right now stay home stay safe um and then they're like oh oh my god with this thing that happened for two years like we had to do the same thing again like i just i just feel like those numbers are are kind of definitely a lot smaller than they were at the beginning of 2020 yeah you know the people that would willingly take it again so that's why i'm curious if they try to do some like you know covid 23 you know, some new thing, like how many people are just going to be like, okay, yeah, cool. Have fun. I'm going to keep living my life. 
Even yeah. people who totally bought into it. Like, yeah. I, just, I think I'm, I'm curious. I agree, man. I, I reckon, um, sorry, Joel, if you were going to jump in there. Um, but yeah, I, was, I think that I've seen examples of people who, you know, I never would have expected to really wake up to what's going on. I mean, even yeah. my mom uh, woke up because of the plan, the scandemic. And, um, you know, we've seen people in some ways, like the silver lining to the whole, like, you've got to get the jab. Oh, no, you need the the, the booster. Oh, you need the second booster. Oh, you know, you need the third booster. Like, the silver lining to that is that these people who are trying to, like, jump through all the hoops and tick all the boxes, yes, sir, you know, sir, three mm-hmm. bags full, some of them have started to get really sick of it. Like, they've just got to the point where they're like, you know what, I've got my shots. I don't care. Piss off and leave me alone. Like, and I think that's a good thing. It's it's actually given people a level of, like, fatigue and, and disinterest in the whole whole thing. Yeah, especially when for two years you see people who did what they were told to do and yet still came down with symptoms, which is a whole another rabbit hole and conversation we can get into because I know where some of your views lie on that. But it's just like at some point they got to be like, well, we did all the things and we still feel like shit and we're not we're not able we have to stay home for five days, 10 days. I don't feel well. Like they have to start connecting the dots. Like all these things I did didn't lead me to being healthy. At least yeah, I'd like totally. to think so. Yeah, it's amazing that people don't. I mean, even even the ones you know, you see the the Twitter the Twitter statuses that get circulated in the truth community. You know, someone takes a screenshot of like some doctor who's like, "I had all the shots, and then two weeks later, I got COVID." So make sure you have all your shots. And it's yeah. like, mm. hang on, are you listening to yourself right now? Are you fucking completely <laughs> retarded? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that that's a whole that's the whole thing when you talk about the level of indoctrination where someone who goes through the allopathic system, you know, in my opinion, medical school is a form of trauma-based mind control. You know, you're, you're put through, like you have to do all this studies and all this time and you put all this money into it and you can't question authority. You get no sleep and you got to study for freaking 48 hours straight. Like, I mean, it seems like trauma-based mind control to me. And then once you come out of it and you're 200 K in debt, Let's say even if you get a sniff of like something's off, you're like, well, I, I know, I don't know. I went through all this thing. I got the white coat. All my parents' friends tap me on the back and tell me how special I am. And of course, I need to make the money so I could pay off my debt. Or let's say you you realize it, you know, 10, 15 down, 10 years down the road, you got your family, you got your kids, you're putting them through college. Like you start, if you want to question what's really happening, like you're, you, the, you're, you're going to have to be like, well, who am I? You know, like I can't start speaking out now because I'm not going to be able to afford my home anymore. I'm not going to be able to, you know, pay for everything. My kids still need to go to college. I mean, it takes a certain individual with psycho-emotional fortitude to be like, fuck it. I'm a, you know what? I'm going to be a truth addict like Brendan Murphy because that's all I care about. And, you know, fuck everything else. It does. It does. And like most people aren't, you know, they don't have it. They just don't seem to have it. Um, It's really unfortunate because, the people who who suck it up, who don't want to go along with it, but do, uh, I think the like a majority and or maybe not a majority, but a significant number of yeah. people, and and that's what keeps the system rolling along and just just bulldozing over us. You know, it's those people that 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 could that have the opportunity to say no and take a stand, but don't, and that just makes it that much harder for the rest of us to try to you know pick up the slack and and take a stand ourselves because the the support that should be there really isn't there. Um, that's why I respect people who do it, like. Mark Donio, who who was uh, yeah. is an yeah. ex senior scientist in pharma, um, he 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 lost his job because he wouldn't take the jab, and now he's you know he had to face that, he had to process that. I'm not gonna, I don't have, I'm not gonna have income, I'm not gonna have this job, I'll never work again in the biomed industry. Um, that's done now because I'm like on the blacklist, right? So 
that that's a rare human, and I, I respect the shit out of those people because yeah. there's there's not enough of them for, for I, starters. I I agree. We had Mike on the podcast, you know, a few months ago, and I'm I'm right there with you. I mean, to 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 be able to face that and to go, you know, I want to live with integrity, and if I'm not going to get the salary that I was getting, then I don't care. You know, my the truth is more important, and being able to look at myself in the mirror every day because you hear the stories of people who have spoken out and then they talk about all the other people that privately message them or send them emails and go, Hey, I just want you to know, like, I'm really happy that you're speaking out. Like, well, I, I wish I could, but I can't for X, Y, Z reasons or whatever the case may be. And you're just like, you can, you're just choosing not to. You mm-hmm. think about all those pediatricians who choose not to jab their children. And yet they, they allow the assembly line of other people's children to come in and they just keep putting them through, putting them through the schedule, you know, cause that's, that's yeah. happening too. There are those who have woken up, but they're like, shit, I'm making a million dollars a year. I'm getting those insurance checks. Like I can't say no to that. Whew. Yeah. It's a difficult situation. And like you said, man, like they go through that period of indoctrination, they get broken down and they, they end up in a situation where, yeah, the debt's hanging over them. They got to pay it off. And and it is still a matter of choice, but it becomes a situation where you can kind of understand why some yeah. people don't say anything because it's like, well, that's a not a fun situation to be in. Um, but uh, I forget what I was going to say with that. But yeah, it's 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 definitely a problem. Uh, and the the thing is, it's, it's like something happens along the way that makes them uh, fail to realize. Or I think I think the brainwashing is the real issue because they have such power. If if the people like just doctors and nurses took a stand together as a unified front they could completely change the way that the system operates overnight because they are the system but they they give their power to a handful of bureaucrats sitting at their desks pushing paper around and creating rules and laws and whatever and it's like hang on a minute it's people power in the end like that's what changes things if we take a stand as a united front it's game over it's game over that's the power they have is enormous yeah one thing that i always come back to as some form of proof that things have shifted is that prior to 2020, vaccines were the most taboo subject on planet Earth. You could yeah. not even question that on to any degree whatsoever. And for a lot of us who have been, you know, speaking out for a long time, we never thought that there would come a time where, you know, it became this much easier to have that conversation about vaccines with a larger amount of people. And that definitely seems to be the case now. Like holes have been blown in you know the immaculate shield that vaccines wore for a very 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 long time yeah completely completely and by their own hand as well because the 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 toxicity of them has killed and maimed so many people that it's like everybody knows somebody who's either been seriously injured or killed yes. from having the shot so it, it, the the way the attitude the way we look at vaccines will never be even though they're fake vaccines but still it will never be quite the same again like it's it has definitely changed the the terrain so yeah, I mean, again, silver lining to a pretty, uh, yeah. pretty awful kind of an event. Yeah, yeah. With everything that's happened, obviously, you don't have a crystal ball. Um, and where we are right now on September twenty eighth, um, twenty twenty two, where do you see like the next couple of years going? Like, how do you think things are going to unfold? You know, from a geopolitical standpoint, from like uh, a medical standpoint. Like, what are your, what's your intuition, or what, what are the aliens telling you? <laughs> oh, man, what's spirit what's spirit telling you <laughs> my uh i'm just tapping into my twin flame guide here um, <laughs> perfect perfect uh yeah like it's it's that's the million dollar million dollar question because you know nobody really knows we don't 
get to see the meetings behind closed doors of what these psychos are planning and planning on doing. But we do have documents. Um, I did a presentation in 2020, which is one of my podcasts, where I, I incorporated some of the documentation that showed that these people intend to push the PSYOP all the way through till 2025. Um, and that's, that's you know, this is just like kind of we're watching phase one, phase to phase three of this very long range plan. You know, this is the great reset. And so they're not going to stop anytime soon willingly. That's one thing that I'm pretty convinced of. Um, it's just a matter of how much resistance are they going to encounter along the way. Uh, it seems to be an increasing amount of resistance. So that's that's a positive. I, I, you know, I'm not overly optimistic in terms of like the short term vision of, of the human experience um, because it's like what's possible is one thing, but what most people are willing to do to, you know, help themselves or improve things is usually is a very different thing. And it's usually most people, for most people, the answer is the bare minimum or, or sweet fuck all. So, yeah. so yeah. I don't see the next like 10, 20, 50 years being super bright, you know, like we go through this great transformation and, you know, everything's hunky-dory. I think we're going to be challenged. And the longer we take to really take radical responsibility and take a stand for what is uh, true and good, then you know the longer this kind of stuff is going to be dragged out because they're not willingly stopping. Uh, they 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 have a long range plan. They plan for years and decades, uh, and and it's it's not finished. So, you know, I don't know, man. Yeah. Short answer, I don't know. Well, let's be real. Like Agenda Twenty One pretty much happened <laughs> in Twenty Twenty One. We know there's a Twenty Thirty in place, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's not an arbitrary number. So yeah, we can expect it, like the next seven years eight years and beyond like they're going to keep trying to push it they will but uh you know we're seeing some pushback which is good yeah yeah so what what are you what's your advice to the individual seeking to cultivate you know inner and outer freedom in in the midst of all of this man that's uh that's a good question um you know to me the the buck stops with the individual and you have to utilize your own inner locus your own uh, moral guidance system and and listen to really uh, not necessarily, I mean, what you think is right because most people are basically inherently good, decent people. Um, but we also need to, act, uh, to access the thing in us that is our unique sort of uh, thread of authentic, authenticity. And it's that thing that lights you up because if people actually lived according to their highest values, uh, a lot of the system that we don't like would actually dissolve because it's people who feel like they're stuck in situations that they don't like and can't get out of um, that are keeping it really motoring along. So, you know, the the way to dissolve the collective issues and the individual issues is, is the same to me. It's it's starting with the individuality, finding your individual thread of uniqueness and what lights you up. And, you know, Joseph Campbell told us, follow your bliss and that he wasn't speaking from a hedonistic place. He was recognizing that in every individual there's a very unique spark or fractal of something that's special in them for them and if they hear that and listen to it then you know something amazing is possible for your life you know you can go on the hero's journey and and make it out the other side you can you can return with the treasure and the gold and whatever but you can't do it if you're a member of the crowd and the herd and, and not listening to that in a guidance system well, you're speaking our language, man. This is a big reason we do what we do. Why we even created our, our own coaching program is, is all, I mean, it's called Rise Above the Herd. It's all about allowing a person to just tap into that that uniqueness and and live their life and and stand apart from the crowd, you know. So I, I everything you said, man, those words, uh, music to my ears. 
Yeah, awesome. I think we're all on the same page here. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, yep, yep, we agree. Okay, bye. Yeah, cool. <laughs> uh, nah, it's so true, man. It's just if people just chose to be authentic, they were able to start to look at the inauthenticity which they've allowed to foster, um, and then they wouldn't be put in a position where they have to compromise the truth. You know, it, it wouldn't be leveraged against them in the same way. But when you have that entire illusion to lose, then of course it becomes much easier um, to, to continue to maintain the lie. And as our good friend Michael Tessarian often says to me, like have zero tolerance for the lie. You know, if, if each individual could somehow cultivate that within themselves, zero tolerance for the lie, then obviously it. things would be starkly different. Oh, come on, man. I, I love that. I really, that's a great way of putting it too. Like the zero tolerance thing, man, I love that because people, people, they, they compromise. And I got, that's one of the things that really pisses yeah. me off a lot is people who know that something is bullshit, but they speak and act as if it's not, as if it's real. We've seen heaps of that in the last three years, like people who know that there is no virus, but who will still say, oh, I had COVID. Oh, it wasn't that bad. Oh, no, yeah. you didn't have COVID because you can't catch a virus that only exists as a computer model and stop pretending. You know, zero tolerance is what moves moves us forward. Yeah. I mean, we've got to stop enabling this bullshit. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times, even for people that I think are on similar page to us, but maybe not to the degree, especially around like viruses and all that, where it's like that phrase, I got COVID. I'm just like, no, no, you didn't. And this is why you didn't. Oh, oh, well, you know what you know what I mean. It's like they want yeah, to say it. It's like, like they've been looking for like, looking for the moment to be like, oh yeah, I got COVID, just to say those <laughs> words. Like I get a coming gold star. Yeah, the programming's so deep on so many different levels, you know. Like, and and there's so many levels to the lie, you know. Yeah. Whereas, and I'm not sitting here. I say I have all all the answers, but um, when you look around and when you realize there are people out there and there are books out there and this knowledge has been out there in terms of challenging even the foundational tenets of virology for years and years and years, you know, how long does it take for people to be even even be exposed to this? You know, you think about HIV/AIDS. That was my entry point. You know, you know mid 2000s i i had a i had a um an acting teacher that and i've said, shared this before he he told me to read dr carrie Moles's um auto autobiography dancing naked in the minefield and you know he was questioning just the foundational premise of like this hiv now he wasn't getting to the virus element of it because they were back then they were saying in the beginning they were saying it was a multifactorial you know uh the symptoms were because of multiple reasons not because of some virus you know but even then we're talking about 40 plus years since that and it's still a small percentage of the population who are like what do you mean uh, hiv uh, causes aids and i have to wear condoms all the time or else I'm, i could get hiv and blah 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 and you're like damn you know you're living with that level of 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 fear and 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 delusion and and programming because of all the movies because of all the media you know that has taught you to fear and and yet there's a small percentage of people that even 40 40 years in so then you go man covid just ha covid just happened so how many years before there's a critical mass where they're like that shit that happened in 2020 that was a fucking scam yeah. you know yeah. yeah yeah it'll be trendy to say that in like 2100 or something <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> right we're the future uh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm gonna like. Uh, I need to carve into my gravestone. Like, I called COVID a scam before it was cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's totally. hilarious. Like, I, I, I yeah. Oh man, <laughs> it's it, you know none of this stuff. 
it's like zero tolerance for the lie means you have to also be constantly willing to go through a personal upheaval of, oh shit, I thought that was true, but it's not now. I'm going to have to integrate that. Like, that's, that's it, man. That's part of it. That's it. And I think this is um, one reason when you're more of a free agent where you're not um, aligned with letters after your name, even in the alternative health community. You know, like you can you can have certain letter, letters after your name in an alternative in the alternative health world, but like gutting down this whole viral the virus thing. No, 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 no. I can't. I can't do that. You know, I still wear a white coat, even though it's a different kind of white coat. But I can't. I can't challenge that. Yeah. You know, and so like, but when you're when you don't when your identity, your livelihood, you know, things that you've been talking about online for the last twenty years, you know, aren't based on on uh, on certain things. Like I'm just like. Man, you tell me anything that makes more sense rationally. Like I'm done. I have no investment in the thing. I just care about the truth. Yeah, yeah. It's like um, there was a good quote from I'm not I don't I'm not a huge fanboy, but uh, what's his name? A famous famous author. Fuck, I've got a mental blank now. But he said, uh, sorry, Deepak Chopra. You know, make your allegiance, uh, make your allegiance to transformation. Um, and so if you have that mindset, you can you can flow with the the data. You can flow with the the information. You can have a paradigm shift, and you can have metanoia, and it not be insecure about it and clutching it. You know, some stupid fucking childish dogma to try to keep you afloat or make you feel better about you know the fact that the world is full of uncertainty. Um, and that's okay. Like to navigate that. But if you if you find that really difficult, then maybe there's some you know work to do there. Some yeah. you know demons to to face and work through. And yeah, I mean, if people had done their homework on uh, viruses. I mean, even naturopaths don't get yeah. trained properly anymore. Naturopaths coming out of school now have yeah. no fucking idea that viruses are a hoax. Um, but the old school naturopaths from 30, 40 years ago know because they were taught that shit. But the big pharma whole thing has hijacked the, even the alternative system yeah. now. And they've they've just like they're just churning out these drones who don't know any better. Yeah. And the inner work's the key, man. It really is. Like uh, I I say this all the time. I just keep saying it's like self-knowledge is the foundation, you know, for all knowledge, you know, to some degree, like you have to know yourself on the deepest levels. And when you are grounded, when you know yourself, like you're less likely to be swayed, you know, you're less likely to be swayed by, by the constant, the scam, the constant psyop that's thrown at you. You're just like, exactly. no, I know who I am. I know what I believe. I, I know what I represent as an individual. And that's great that everyone around me, um, is, is, is being, um, their minds are being hijacked by the television or by social media, whatever, but I'm not going down that road. And can you, can you hold strong to that? You know, well, and it's, when it's you actually hard. like who you are, when you like yeah. who you are and you're comfortable in your own being, you're not grasping for stability to confirm, to confirm that, you know, it's like, I have a relationship with myself. I'm in touch with my own essence. I'm very comfortable with that. So I don't need everyone to agree with me. I don't even need my partner to agree with me. You know, it's like, I'm cool. Yeah, this is me. But, but this is where even like that Ayn Rand quote comes into play about, about like having a personal philosophy, like to really have a personal philosophy and to, to live by or else you're just subject to all these random things that are just floating around that are getting absorbed into your unconscious. And then you're just like, oh, this is what I believe. Oh, I posted a black square. I'm such a good person. You know, <laughs> like I, I have a, a Ukraine flag tattoo on my left cheek and I took a picture of it and then I posted it. I'm such a good person. You know, you're so cynical today, bro. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm hard. I'm a little hardcore today. I don't know why. I just, you know. All right, let's uh, let's take a deep probably. breath in. And also, just I just yeah, let's. <laughs> um, I just so I know everyone that's listening too. Like I don't fucking know everything, you know. Yeah. But the things I do know, like 
I've been proven right. And I, I love to talk shit too. You know, I'm, I'm Jersey. I'm from New Jersey. I'm a Greek. You know, sometimes I talk shit. And, like all of your identities, bro. And also, let's be real. I don't think like this is we're having fun. I don't think people that um, post black squares and and have tattoos of the Ukraine flag um, are listening to this podcast. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, probably although not. actually, there are probably some people who posted a black square because it was really early on in 2020, and then people have kind of like woken up to certain things. So for those of you that did, I forgive you. Anyone who had a Ukraine flag just tuned out. <laughs> they just did. They're like, fuck that podcast. <laughs> yeah. And and this thing, man, like if you have that identity, you're not ready to then because because the crowd is is mm. the backup plan. If you don't have an identity, then you find it in the crowd. You identify with the crowd, you lose yourself in the the blissful kind of ignorance and the crowd mentality and all that shit. And you know, Jung wrote about that extensively. Gustav Le Bon wrote an entire book called The Crowd. And it's it's people who are not aware of self who don't know who and what they actually are that are the the targets of this propaganda and really i i include religion you know not to knock religious people but it applies to religion i've never met for example a christian who is actually aware of who and what they fundamentally are because they go off to to this other womb to find an identity whereas i'm like if you knew who and what you are you don't need that you don't need that belief system because when you have knowledge you know, you recognize the difference between knowledge and belief and you can pick and choose beliefs and let them go, but you don't need them as an identity. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of people turn to these ideologies, you know, whether it's Jesus or something else when they're rock bottom, because when you're at rock bottom, you probably have no fucking clue who you are if you're at rock bottom. And then here comes the shining light of like, yes, I can hold on to this. And then I have purpose. And I, I know I know who I am because I've been told who I am. And all I have to do is believe in this and everything will be great. Exactly. Like I've got the parent figure in the sky who's there to comfort me and provide me with sucker. And now I, I'm like, okay, there's something to hold on to. I feel better. I feel reassured. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. And, and you know, like it's not to knock people because like you said, man, at rock bottom, that's where a lot of people find Jesus at rock bottom. Yeah. So it's like, okay, you know, you don't know, yeah. you don't have the self-awareness yet. I get why you're drawn to this. Yeah. Uh, and it's not for me to like put people down and stuff. It's just recognizing some of the dynamics that feed into it. Yeah. And at the, at the same time, I want to say there are a lot of lovely, amazing humans that um, are religious and they're good yeah, people right. and they have good families. Like, it's not that I'm knocking that. We're just diving into the psychological underpinnings of what causes a person to like absolve themselves from like individual responsibility and just hand it to this external, you know, paternal, maternal figure. Yeah, but also like each people have their own unique, authentic path, you know, that's just the stepping stone for, for many of these people, you know, sure, they've hit rock bottom, and maybe they take one step up, and they find Jesus, and they take two steps up, and they find Eckhart Tolle, you know, then they take three steps up, and they find a Michael Tessarian or something like that. But, you know, it's you're not just going to jump from rock bottom to, you know, yeah. all of a sudden, knowing the internal depths of who you are um, on an extreme level. So, Very true. yeah, man, this is, this is the authentic path. We've all walked it. We've all... We've all gone down, you know, certain different rabbit holes and crevices, which obviously we realized weren't the weren't the truth, so to speak, for us. Um, but it's the journey; it goes on. That's well right. Said, and, you bro. know, if, if you think of uh, if you think of this as a, like a dream that we inhabit, then you know you can look at everybody else in the dream as an actor that you have essentially created or dreamed into the dream. Um, and you know, Joel's creating me; I'm creating Joel. Erasmus is creating me; I'm creating him. 
And, you know, all these other people who maybe don't see things the way that I see the world, it's fine. They're just actors playing their role. You know, I need people to play the fundamentalist Christian. I need people to play this other role and this role mm. and the doctors and whatever. Like, it's just it's just a construct of the of the divine imagination. So we don't need to take it, uh, you know, too personally in the end. You know, just it's like Bill Hicks said, you know, it's just a ride. What would you say that last part? Uh, like Bill Hicks said, oh, Bill Hicks. stand up. It's just a ride. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun ride. Yeah, I mean, it, it should be. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Well, this is where, like, not taking yourself too seriously, like, that one side of the coin plays into things. Like, yes, we get deep and we talk about all this stuff. And at the same time, like, the fuck? Fuck it. Just keep riding the waves. Yeah, like, if, I, if we're wrong, okay, we're wrong. Cool. Just move on. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. And I think so many people, they are afraid to be wrong. You know, there, there's yeah. like such deep fear because what does that mean you know for themselves but for you yeah. for you personally do you feel like there's like since things have shifted with 2020 like there's far more possibility far more potential available to you yourselves actually create in your external reality and provide real value um and live up to more of your potential um in a, in a way yeah. um what i see i think that's a good question because in a way i see people there's a high number of people now who have snapped out of the trance, um, which means that, you know, there's more people who are ready to listen to me, which means I get to go and be more of me and yeah, have yeah. fun with that. So on a personal level, yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely think that, you know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, good has come out of the last couple of years. It's shifted things. Um, people are having thoughts they never had before, entertaining ideas they never had before. Um, you know, you've got people watching this podcast who two years ago would have condemned it to the depths of hell. So, Very you know, we're, I think slowly in some some regions, we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got banned from YouTube last week, so they still condemned <laughs> us to the depths of hell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> uh, you know what? It's, okay. I, yeah, I, I actually was like, when I got saw that email, like, to be honest, a smile came across my face <laughs> first and foremost. <laughs> It's, yeah. it's why you're asking us is so cynical today. It's like, yeah, this, this, this ain't going on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Fuck it. We could use all the words. It doesn't Good matter. It works, bro. Uh, <laughs> thank yeah. you for balancing my extra cynicism, Joel. Um, tell us about True Diversity. Yeah. And like what, what inspired you to create it? Obviously, it's like everything you've learned over the 15,000 hours and everything you've done, you know, it's led you to this, but we'd love to hear about it. Yeah, so it's basically going to be like my, uh, you know, premium content multimedia container. It's my home for all my all the ideas and the the, the stuff that I create that doesn't necessarily have a home uh, in the you know the social platforms or whatever. You know, so it gives me a chance to be like, okay, these are the subjects I'm, I really want to go deep in and and play with and have fun with. And whoever's interested in that stuff is going to find value in it. Um, you know, because. I think it's interesting and people on that page are going to, are going to like it too. And this is just going to be me just drip feeding content in there to, to keep it going. Like I'm very, very, you know, as you can tell, like very interested in the psychology, the spiritual stuff, the religious stuff, uh, the medical side of things. So I'm going to be piling heaps of stuff uh, along those lines um, from me and also from other content providers as well. So it's not just me. It's not reliant on me completely, mm -hmm. uh, but this is my home. It's like a membership site. Um, and that's that's where anyone who uh, supports me by actually being a paying member gets access to 
everything that I do. So if, if they're not members, I'll still put some stuff out in, into the, the um, public domain for free, like I've always done. It just won't be 100% out there. Um, it's going to have a special little home. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And uh, we launch on Thursday, I think. Hang on, no, wait. Friday, our Friday CDT. So yeah, we'll go live Friday. Looking forward to that. That's amazing, man. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. We uh we actually ran a crowdfunder for this uh five almost five and a half years ago in January twenty seventeen. Uh, so we have been sitting on this for ages. You know, the idea's been there for years, and we just kind of like waiting for the right time to to launch it. You know, finding that space to to kick it off and build it because it's a huge. You know, like we we were initially conceived of it as a an alternative kind of a university. Uh, so it's a huge project. You know, it's just yeah, me yeah. and Amy <laughs> working on it. But um, it's going to just gather momentum and just get better over time. You know, we'll get we'll just keep making the content better. You know, the videos will be better. I'm going to have audio files, transcripts, articles, masterclasses, courses, all sorts of stuff in there. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a good fun ride. That's really cool. And I think that's what's awesome, man, about technology is that, you know, people that have gone down this road, this path, you know, are able to like give their gifts in a certain way and be able to impact people from all over the world, you know. Uh, I think it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it for is, sure. Totally. Um, so tell us about Mexico. Like, is this everything that is what, we, is what you thought it would be in going there? Um, what's the lifestyle like for other people who might be considering making the same shift eventually if they're given that opportunity? Um, yeah. Well, yeah, man. Uh, I don't. I haven't explored a lot of Mexico. I know the area that we're in uh, reasonably well. Uh, so we're in Jalisco. Um, near Lake Chapala, very, very beautiful um, part of Mexico uh, where people say it's like the best, arguably the best weather in the world. It's just like spring every day. Wow. Mm. Um, so, you know, for me, it's great because I don't like the heat and humidity and stuff. Like we came out of Byron Bay and and that was, I was in, you know, summers there are pretty intense. But yeah. Um, yeah, Mexico is very, very varied, like geographically and in terms of landscapes and whatnot. So I want to explore a bit more. I think we'll get over to the, the West Coast, uh, Puerto Vallarta and um, I think in February, I'll be a speaker at Anacapulco as well. So okay. we'll get to go and visit Acapulco, which we haven't been to yet. Uh, but I, I like the, you know, I love the Mexican people on average. They're they're just so friendly and accommodating and welcoming and they'll bend over backwards to help you. Um, so yeah, it's it's been it's been kind of a, like an easy transition in, in that sense. And um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a, been a good life. We're very very glad that we we made the decision that we made to get out of there. And all I can say is, you know, I, I can't talk much about the other the other parts of Mexico, unfortunately, because yeah. we've never we've never even been here before. It was just like, well, we're packing yeah. up and moving. We went halfway around the world, um, and so I don't know much of Mexico outside of this. But I've I've got people, you know, friends who are traveling around and sampling sampling areas and towns and cities for me. So yeah, the the list of places to check out. I mean, man, some of the I've got a mate who's been chasing waterfalls all around Mexico and oh, wow. and some of the stuff, the footage I've seen from him is is ridiculous. So there's some absolutely beautiful places to yeah, to connect with nature. I know that much. Yeah, awesome, Mexico's man. pretty cool, man. Yeah. And what's the cost of living like compared to Australia? Uh where we are, it's it's let's just say there are a lot of gringos here and prices reflect that. Gotcha. <laughs> so uh we're not it's not like uh you come here to where we are to save money. But um, even just like five, six Ks away, you know, there's there's a more Mexican, a more kind of a little bit more of an authentic Mexican town where the cost of living is a little bit lower. Um, so really very, 
very much depends where you are. Um, yeah. The more you get away from like the Gringo Central kind of areas, the the cheaper it gets. And like some some areas are just like dirt cheap. You know, you can really save a lot of money living. Uh, we're not really because of where we are. The location is a lot of a lot of Gringos, Americans, and Canadians, and you know, not many Aussies. But you know, I think there's an increasing number coming mm-hmm. around. But uh, yeah. yeah, if you're looking to save money, uh, you can just don't come here. Yeah. <laughs> That's what that's what I've heard from especially over the last few years. A lot of the Americans and Canadians that have gone down there, um, you know, because of that, they're they've been jacking up the prices and rental prices and everything. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah I, lo- I love the Mexican people. My wife and I got married uh, north of Puerto Vallarta uh, a few years ago there in Sayulita or outside of Sayulita, and uh, yeah, we're heading back down uh, December to to revisit it for a bit. So it'll be nice. Awesome, man. Yeah. Oh, let me know when you're down. I'd love to catch up. Cool. Cool, cool man. Uh, one question I wanted to ask you: You have a podcast. See, what's what's okay? Okay, yes. What um? What's one of your favorite interviews? Like, what's an interview that like you're just like, oh man, this this person blows my mind, or the conversation we had was incredible. Like, I'd love to to hear some uh, thoughts on that. Um, there are two people who come to mind. I'll say two names. So I have had a friend called, uh, by the name of Nick Sandbrook, uh, for the last say eight years. And he's very much interested in the, uh, you know, that whole conversation we were having around the collective unconscious, the way it operates. Um, he's, he's very, very, that interview is very worth listening to. I think it was episode 37. Okay. Um, so I, I really, that's a perspective that I want to really get to more people because, there are so many, there's so much of this hypnosis into these different rabbit holes and these weird alien storylines that don't actually make sense and the evolving sort of playground in the astral fantasia. But Nick actually helps to make sense of it all and simplify things. So I think he's, he's a very clever dude. Um, that's worth watching. And then I would also suggest the last, no, second last one I published was Michael Tassarian talking yeah. about I've feminism and neo-feminism and uh, the psyche of of womankind. And that was... That was great. Uh, people really enjoyed that. So yeah, there's two people off the top of my head. Cool. Yeah, I started listening to the the one with Michael, and this is incredible, man. I, I love his work and his research into all that Dragon Mother, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Cool. It's it's top notch. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Cool. Well, we're all done, everyone. <laughs> thanks for joining. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Um, <laughs> Joel, you got anything else? Any you want to ask your usual question? Yeah, sure. Brendan. I'll ask, I'll ask yeah, you have any final words. <laughs> no, 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 not that one. I'm not ready for that yet. I'd like to get okay. everyone's thoughts on this particular matter. What were your thoughts on Q and the Trump phenomena? Oh my God, are we going back to this? Oh, that won't take long. Yeah, no, I've always felt like that's a bit of a psyop. I never really got sucked into it. I feel like it was too hyped. What about too much devil- have you looked into devolution? Say again? Have you looked into devolution? Yeah, no. that rings a bell. Devolution hang on, theory. that does ring a bell. What? Hang on, just explain a bit. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know too much about it. There's a couple of unslaved episodes on this as well, but basically um, it's almost like this is a purposeful unraveling that's taking place now. Everything's being forced to the surface and very easy and discernible for everyone to see because um, this is the only way that the masses would be able to recognize, you know, the the the, the thinness of the veil, uh, so to speak. It's, it's curious, that's for sure. Cool. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. All right, I got no more. <laughs> I, got, I got no more questions. <laughs> Brandon, man, thanks so much for your time. Um, thanks for everything that you're putting out there, and we'll definitely be checking out Truthversity ourselves. That sounds incredibly yeah. interesting. And any final words for our audience? 
Um, I get a final word. Um, stay in school and don't do drugs. <laughs> awesome. And listen actually, to what Spirit joke. tells just, you. Just yeah, public ignore schools all or? that, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> stay out of mainstream schools, but stay in maybe, you know, Steiner School. I don't know, whatever. No, just, you know, find that unique thread and pull on it in you. <laughs> That's it, man. Really, that really is it. You know, like search for that unique thread and and and, and everything else. I find will uh, work itself out. It will. Trust, trust in the uh, the dreaming. Trust in the creation. Your 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 intelligence and consciousness is is behind the whole thing. So, yeah, awesome guys. Go check out his podcast, Truthiverse. Check out Truthiversity if you want to get deeper. We appreciate your time. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Take care. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to this incredible conversation with Brendan Murphy. For those that are still here, we are currently running 50% off your first month subscription to Friends of the Truth. That means you get access to all three calls, our live teaching, our live and interactive guest expert call, our live community hangout, plus access to all previous calls, guest expert calls, teachings for 50% off. So that's $27.50 USD for your first month with us. We really believe this is incredible value, if not ludicrous value, and there's one week left on that offer. So if that's something that interests you, just come, hang out, um, see what it's about. And if you don't like it, you can leave at absolutely any time. With that being said, thank you so much for your support. Please rate, review, subscribe wherever you are. Share this podcast. If you got value out of it, it means a lot to us. And we'll see you next time. Smoke and mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in a the time, they think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms, cause they be too busy snoozing. I'm in a DeLorean. Fast forward in evolution to a place where we can share our confusions. Yeah, 450 BC, I'm sharing tea with confusion.